Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. But today we are going to begin a series called uh, Journey to the Empty Tomb. And today we're going to be talking specifically about the Garden of Gethsemane. And one of the powerful moments that, of course, Jesus experiences in this particular case of his life is that he is going through a time and a season in which no one can actually help him. There isn't anything anyone can actually do. And there are times in our lives when we are on a journey and we have people with us, but we unfortunately recognize that there isn't anybody around with us or on the journey with us that can actually help us. They're around, they're there for us, they love us, they care for us, but there isn't anything that they can actually do for us. And the scene in which we just saw Jesus is going through his most arduous temptation since the time he was beginning his ministry in the desert where he was tempted by Satan himself and was given options of how to become king without having to go through to the cross. And it's that time in which he's being offered the kingdoms and he's telling him that God will never let anything bad happen to you. You can command anything to happen. If, if you see rocks, you can turn them into bread. And if you see this pinnacle, you could throw yourself off of it and you can be assured that the angels will catch you even before you fall or touch the ground. And all of these things were clear to Jesus as indicators of, of a different way, a different path. It was other than the one that God had set out for him, other than the one that the Father had made clear that he needed to take. And so Jesus resisted those temptations and went on to do great things during his ministry. And he assembled a group of people to travel with him and that he could train and that he could equip and that he could prepare. And we knew these people as his disciples who would then become his apostles, who would take his message into all the world. And, and these were the people that he trusted the most and the people that he depended on. And, and there's a moment where he turns to them and he says to them, hey, would you stay awake and would you watch and would you pray? And he's asking them for, for help in a moment in which he knows that he is utterly alone. And then you would think that this, was mom this moment was really about Jesus saying, hey, I need you. But I think it was more about Jesus saying to them, you need to watch and to pray for yourselves. Jesus knew that in that moment, there wasn't anything that they could do for him it was what they needed for themselves. 
So he says, can you not watch and pray? Can you not do this even for an hour? And it almost feels like Jesus is saying, hey, can't you be there for me? But I think he was just teaching them that they needed to be prepared for the emptiness of the journey. Of when it doesn't look like rescue is coming where things are not going to change, where things are only going to get worse. And when life is like that, when you are on this journey to the empty tomb, there's going to be a lot of emptiness along the way before you experience the power of the resurrection. And if we can learn this in our own lives, then we can see a pattern develop that can help us when we're in these moments ourselves. And so I want us to look at this passage that's found in Matthew chapter 26. And it It's just a few verses, but let's read them together. It's going to set the context uh, for the clip that we just watched. So let's start with the verses, if we could do that. And we begin here at verse 36. It says that Jesus went with him, with them, excuse me, to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. So we know the context right away. Jesus is not saying, I want you to pray with me. He says, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to go and pray. Okay, so then let's look at the next verse. Verse 37, he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, I want you to see this. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Then he says, I want you to stay here and keep watch with me. So he's not asking them to pray, but he's asking them to watch. Then in verse 38, he says, he went on a little further and he bowed his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then in verse 40, he returned to the disciples and he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? And then he says in verse 41, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. Because the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And then in verse 42, then Jesus left them a second time. And then he prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away, unless I drink it, your will be done. And when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping because they couldn't keep their eyes open. Next verse. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. And then he came to the disciples and he said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. I want you to go back one verse. Go back to verse 45. Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. Now, why would he say that? And then, in verse 46, he's like, okay, rest is over. Let's be going. My betrayer is here. What's going on? What's with the contradiction here? Well, the story is interesting because it teaches us things that we need to know about what is going to happen in our own lives. 
And, and if we can understand this, this pattern, we can be better prepared for what happens next. When it happens, we're like, I, I know what this means. And I know what Jesus did for me. And I know what I can expect. And I know what is going to happen next. The story does not end here. Can we say amen to that? And so when we see this, we can then begin to be encouraged when we go through this journey of emptiness ourselves. Now I want you to imagine that, that at this point, things are not going well. And the disciples can sense it. They sense it because the crowd isn't with them. Jesus is not the same. Everything's coming to an end and they feel it. They feel like there's a lot of tension. We know this because Peter actually brings a weapon with him. And we know that he's able to strike out against those who come to arrest Jesus. So we know that these guys know that things are not the same. And, and there's, there's this thing that, that tells us externally first that things are not going well and then internally we become so convinced of it that we don't think there's a way out of it and, and what happened to these disciples is that they saw Jesus afraid for the very first time at least what they called fear they didn't understand what was going on, but for the first time, they saw that their leader was not okay. And when your leader is not okay, you're not okay. And, and, and so here's the first thing that I have come to understand in my own spiritual journey. You have to believe and trust that God has got this. That he always has this. That he is always in control. That God is not afraid. That God is able and ready right now to intervene and to carry us through. I don't start every day thinking like that. I don't always have moments where I'm convinced of that. There are times of doubt and times of, of, of darkness, times where I'm frustrated and angry. And I let those emotions get a hold of me longer than they should. And it is in those moments when I, I don't break free quickly enough that I'm reminded of the reality of how I am stuck in this darkness of thinking that things are not going to get better. I'm in, I'm in this place of emptiness. And what God wants to do is break us free from that. But the way that we get broken free from that is by looking at how others have gotten free before us. And Jesus wants us to see how these principles can be easily applied in, in our own lives. 
And so the first principle is, is believing that God has this, that Jesus is in control, that, that nothing is going to shake God, that God is not afraid, that what we're witnessing is the human anguish of having to face the cross. But it isn't fear of having to face it. It's the reality of what is coming next. And Jesus is fully aware of what it is. And he is fully aware that there is no one and nothing that is going to be able to rescue him from that. That even his disciples being awake, he's not asking them to necessarily pray for him because he says it's okay if they don't. He wants them praying for themselves. Because he knows that even their prayers cannot save him from what is coming next. So let me ask you something. On the journey that you are on, when you are going through your things, who is it that you turn to for help? Who is it that you turn to for guidance, for strength? Who is it that you turn to and ask, hey, could you watch with me? Who is it that you ask, could you pray with me? Who is it that you go to and say, would you be there for me? And the truth of the matter is, is that even if those people are there, come on, even if they're there, even if they love you, like the disciples loved Jesus, there was nothing they could actually do, right? There was nothing that could, they could actually change. And so the reality is, is that if we put our lives in the hands of people, no matter how well-intentioned they are, no matter how much they love us, no matter how much they are willing to follow us all the way to the cross, whatever that cross is, they cannot get us down from it. They cannot deliver us from it. They cannot set us free from it. So we sometimes put so much emphasis in, in the friendships and the family that we either have or do not have that we forget that the most important person who has never left us is the Father. He is always there, no matter what the journey has been, no matter what the journey is. And so if we are well surrounded, or poorly defended, it doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, our deliverance can only come by the hands of the Father. Your blessing can only come by the hands of God. And God is the one who you are to put your faith in the most. It doesn't mean that people can't be there. It's not, it doesn't mean that community is not important. It doesn't mean that you can't ask people to pray for you and that there isn't power in prayer. But I am not going to depend and rely on that more than relying on the Father. And so what Jesus does is that he teaches us that in the greatest trials of our life, you go into the presence of the Father. And whoever's following you, like he did, he taught them the same thing. I want you to go into the presence of the Father. I want you to go, and I want you to watch and pray. I'm going to go and watch and pray, but I want you to go and watch and pray too. I'm going to go and do it, 
and I want you to go and do it. And then when he comes back to them and he sees that he hasn't, he says, it's okay now. I love this line. It's okay now. You can just go ahead. And then he says, sleep. Why would he tell them that? I mean, were things were about to get, like, easier? No, they were about to get harder. And so he tells them to sleep because Jesus had already won that victory in the garden. Can we say amen to that? Before the victory had been won on the cross, it had been won in the garden. It had been won in the garden. He was telling them, I already got this. I got it. I already secured the victory. Now let's now get up, let's go up because they're coming. He was ready now. He was ready. Everything he needed was in the emptiness of that garden. Everything he needed was in the emptiness of that sacred space. Everything he required to happen wasn't being surrounded by people who were watching and praying. It was by being in the presence of the Father. And so in the battles of our life, when we are the most down, the most depressed, in the deepest, darkest place, in the hour in which it cannot get any darker than this, in the moment in which we have no hope, where we feel absolutely hopeless, where we believe that there is no way to move forward and no way that we could possibly go back and change anything at all, in the moments in which we feel stuck, in the moments in which we feel there is absolutely no victory ahead, that we only see more suffering before us and no victory in front of us, in those moments, those points of emptiness are the ones that will give us the greatest victories going forward. It is those moments God is saying that when you spend them with me and you stop looking at the problem, and you stop focusing on who's there and who isn't. And you stop relying on people who will leave you and who have left you and the bad things that are about to happen to you. And you put all of your faith in me, all of a sudden the emptiness becomes that sacred space where God reassures you and gives you the first victory on the way to the empty tomb. Can we say amen to that? And so God is saying, I want you to avoid this moment. I don't want you to escape it. I don't want you to run from it. I don't want you to leave it. I don't want you to think or imagine that there's something else that is going to be better for you than this moment right now. I, I, I don't want to go through the anguish of the garden. I don't want to go through the pain of the emptiness and the loneliness of the garden. I don't want to go through the lack of hope of the garden. I don't want to go through having to plead with God to give me a different plan and, and to show me a different purpose. I don't want to go through that. I don't want to live that pain 
and I don't want to do it not for a minute or even for an hour. And the Bible tells us that, that hours passed as Jesus did this. And this was something in which the serpent himself was coming and, and it was tempting him in that garden. And it was getting him to reconsider and, and, and to rethink what it would look like to stay faithful to the Father's plans. And, and if this can happen to Jesus, how can we possibly imagine that we would be stronger in our own life? If Jesus would, would sweat drops of blood, would break vessels in his brow and bleed from it, if he would go through that, what makes us think that we would be stronger than Jesus? And so what Jesus shows us is, is what happens when we react and respond like the disciples. This story isn't about how Jesus gets through it as much as it's a story of how we don't want to be like the disciples who then don't know what to do next when they see Jesus being arrested and Judas the betrayer arriving among them and then all of a sudden he, he's taken to be put on trial and then is beaten. What Jesus is saying is, would you watch out for this in your own life? I don't know what your distractions are, but I mean, the obvious one for all of us is is, is probably social media to some point. Another distraction can be entertainment of the bingeable kind that we can just keep watching something and keeping our mind off of whatever it is that we are going through. Sometimes it's something else. It could be drinking. It could be drugs. It could be a sexual addiction. It, it could be finding ourselves with a lot of time on our hands where our thoughts keep betraying us. Or maybe it's the pursuit of, of something that we are obsessed with. And, and that pursuit can be in and of itself, maybe to the untrained eye, unharmful, but it's harmful to us. It isn't good for us. And, and sometimes the the Bible speaks of, of, of seven sins and that when we look at them, we think, well, we have all of these, don't we? But the most elusive is, is the one of pride. Sometimes what we pursue is just about our pride. It's about making a name for ourselves, proving someone wrong or someone right or proving that we have worth. And when we do these things, instead of it filling us up, it leaves us more empty. And, and I say this because I want us to understand that in the moments of our darkness, Jesus wants us to be aware that the one thing that is going to take us out and do the most damage isn't external, it's internal. It isn't who's coming. It isn't who betrayed us. 
It isn't who's coming to arrest us. It's what's already in us. And what Jesus does is that he shines the light on the thing that is coming for us. For Jesus, it was Judas and the high priest and the soldiers. And he told his disciples, get up. It's time to go. They're coming. But they weren't coming for the disciples. They were coming for Jesus. But he was telling them, I want you to watch and pray because the time is coming when they will be coming for you. Today they're coming for me. But the day is coming when they will come for you. And I'm telling you that you need to watch and pray so that when they come for you, they cannot touch you. They will not be able to do anything to you. Because in the moment of your emptiness, guess what? I prepared you. I protected you. I gave you the peace that you needed. And now that they're here, it doesn't matter because I have given you the victory. You can go and you can go and sleep. Can we say amen to that? Lord, thank you for showing us that. Thank you for helping us understand that. That in the moments in which we are in the emptiness of the struggle, you're preparing us for what comes next. You're getting us ready. And maybe this moment isn't about us and, and them coming for us, but that moment is coming. But God is preparing us for when it does. And he has given us the victory already. He's given you the victory in your life right now. You can call on that victory. You can depend and rely on that victory. And when that moment comes, you can say it, Lord, you gave me the victory in the garden. You did it for me already. You told me I could go. You told me I could sleep. You told me I'd be good. You told me I'd be fine. You told me I'd be victorious. You told me I'd overcome this. I know that it's not just about the empty garden. I know it's about the empty tomb. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Would you stand with me as we prepare to close this gathering and, and to ask God that he would bless us in, in a beautiful and particular way for, for each of us. I know that he has something beautiful, something outstanding for each of us. Something that is about the victory that he wants you to have. God knows that in this moment of emptiness and in this moment of, of darkness and in this moment of waiting where things look hopeless, God is, is preparing you. He's equipping you and he's getting you ready for what is coming next. And so Lord, as you see each of us and as we surrender our lives to you right now, Lord, we come before you and we say, Lord, you know us at our best. You know us at our worst. You know us when we are at our highest and when we are at our lowest. You know when we are good, shining in the light and reflecting it. 
And you know when we're in the darkness and comfortable and wanting more of it. You see us, Lord, when our words bring life. And you see us when our words have spoken death. Not just over ourselves, but over circumstances and situations and even over people. You've heard us, God, that when we have, when we have said curses instead of blessings. Lord, you have been there for all of it. And yet you love us still. You forgive us. You are here to renew and also to restore us. You are here to do something new for each of us. And Lord, today we are, we are reminded of how important it is to watch and to pray and, and to be in this garden of Gethsemane like Jesus was in and spend time with you, our eternal Father. And we pray right now, Lord, that you would intervene in each of our lives. Thank you for what you've done. And thank you for what you are going to do. For the victory you have given us. And for how we can put our faith in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you immensely.